And there's a couple of special things that we're going to do at the picnic today. One of those is that we're going to talk about Gary and Barb Zorn. And so you might want to show up specifically for Gary and Barb and the things that are going to take place there. And then we are going to also mention some things about Mike and Michelle. And so I would encourage you to go to the picnic today and I'll tell you more at the picnic about Gary and Barb and about Mike and Michelle. A third thing that I want to mention is that we have started the brown bag program. We need four more people or so to still sign up for the brown bag program. I think that's on a, a slide behind me. So the, with this program, we feed hungry children in our community who otherwise wouldn't get enough to eat. And a couple of times a week on Sunday afternoons and on Tuesday afternoons, we have people who come and prepare those meals and then take them. And so I would encourage you to sign up for that and take opportunity to take some lunches to some children. I also wanted to mention that we are going to have fall launch, which is the next slide. We have some exciting things that we are going to do with all of that. And so please get ready to participate in the fall launch. You can uh, get ready, for example, for the brunch that's going to take place that day. And you'll want to sign up for perhaps some food for that day. Uh, If you won't, this says, if you don't sign up, there won't be any for you to take home in terms of food. But there could be, right? Is that right? Hope? No, you're shaking your head. Okay, it's a surprise. I'm not even going to mention it. But But something is going on. Okay? Is that fair? All right. Trying to read these announcements and get all this in. And then the last thing is life groups will be returning this fall. This isn't the last thing. Life groups will be returning this fall, so you need to be thinking about how you'll participate in that, getting ready for uh, September 10th as well, and the sign-up list for life groups, so be ready for that. And then a couple of other things. One is the beans are safe in Houston. So if you thought, are they okay? Yes, they're okay. They went through a hurricane, but they're all right. And they've had a, a grandchild born to them, so they're happy to be in the hurricane, I guess. And then, I, and then a, a kind of a sad note, I just wanted to mention, for those of you who may not know, that Jack Close, who is known to many of you and is actually related to some folks here in our church family, passed away on Friday. Jack was a longtime teacher at Western Christian College. He's known to many people uh, in Western Canada among Churches of Christ, and Jack died on Friday, so we want to remember him. All right. I think that's about all. Hope did want me to mention that the picnic was going to be on the south end of the park this year. We're not going to be in exactly the same spot. So if you've been going to that for years, look toward the south end of the picnic. Shirley has been waving at me throughout the announcements because she wants to make an announcement as well. Shirley? Oh, praise the Lord. Good to know. Very good. Nice to have you both here this morning. All right. I think that's about all that I need to say in terms of announcements. We don't have Bibles for you to turn to this morning. Some of you have phones, of course. You can look up Bibles on your phones this morning. If you've never thought of that, you can get easy access to a Bible on your phone. 
Romans 8.14 with a small r is the code for our Wi-Fi here if you need to look that up. Romans 8.14 with a small r on Romans. And that'll get you into some kind of Bible online and you can look this up. And then of course, I hope lots of people brought their own Bibles this morning. We can look those up. The passage is up as we turn here. Some of the parables that we have in our Bibles are are those that we sometimes ignore. We're not as familiar with some as we are with others. We are relatively familiar, for example, with the parable about the sheep and the goats. Or we know about the parable of the sower or the prodigal son. Those are some well-known parables. The one we're going to look at this morning from Luke chapter 17 beginning with verse 7, is not quite as well known. In fact, I can't think of a time when someone I know, even me, preached on this particular parable. Now, I've preached through the gospel of Luke before, so I kind of assume that I've said some things about this parable from Luke chapter 17, but I don't really know for sure. And so it's possible I've even missed it. It's just one of those that doesn't get all kinds of attention. But here's some things, before we even get into this, that I want us to... um, be aware of. First of all, as we've seen with other parables that we've looked at, often the context of the parable makes a difference in the way the parables should be understood. Okay? Oftentimes the context in which the parable is couched makes a difference in the way the parable is understood. And so if you're looking at your Bibles right now, I want you to look at verse 6. In chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke. Look at what this says. This is a really well-known little verse. It says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now the fact is, that verse, or something very similar to it, is found in each one of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but every time it's found in a completely different context. That's interesting. Because that little line about faith is going to mean something different depending on the context in which we read it. In this case, we certainly read it in a certain context. So just be aware of that. Context makes a lot of difference. Then I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4 what the text specifically says. Says Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, then you're supposed to forgive him. Well, the context then for this particular parable that we're going to read specifically has something to do with sin. In fact, I would say that if we read this parable, we need to be thinking about what does the parable say to me about sin or some kind of attitude. So I would say a believing relationship with God, which is faith in verse 6, must also have something to do with a high level of concern about sin, which is verses 1 through 4. And all I'm really saying here is that the context combines the notion of faith and sinfulness. 
Something is being said about this combination, about faith, or maybe the lack thereof, and sinfulness. And I think that's going to be uh, specifically applicable for the parable. Now, we know that it's the case that faith is going to somehow impact relationship with sin. For example, do you have faith in God that he can enable you to be pure? Do you? Do you have faith in God that he can enable you to be pure? Because if you don't, there's a good chance that sin is somehow going to remain in your life. You just say, you know what? I've got sin in my life. I can't do anything about it. I've tried for years to get rid of this. I cannot stop whatever this thing is. I can't stop speaking this way. I can't stop thinking this way. I can't stop acting this way. If you have no confidence in God to do something in your life to change who you are, then there's some connection between your faith and lack thereof in terms of faithfulness about God to actually get rid of sin in your life. People with addictions, of course, face this all the time. A lot of times, people with addictions are simply over to, able, uh, unable to overcome the sin that's in their lives because they don't understand that God wants and is powerful enough to change something about them. So they battle this and they battle this and they battle this and it never changes. Or perhaps, in terms of faithfulness and sin, you're wondering about whether or not you're actually forgiven of your sin. And the fact is that there are a number of people here today, if I said to you, do you feel completely forgiven of everything that you've ever done? There are people who would say, no. Despite the fact that I'm a Christian, despite the fact that I've given myself to Jesus Christ, they don't actually have the kind of faith that allows them to say, I am really, really, really forgiven by God. So I think this connection between faith and sin then remains. And in fact, I might say that the important point to get in all of Luke 17, at least down through verse 10, is that we are to have the kind of faith that allows us to be less sinful, to overcome sin through an attitude or a mindset of faith that takes sin seriously and that allows us to get rid of it. So, with all of that in mind, in terms of trying to establish the context of Luke 7, something is going to be said to us when we get to Luke 7, verse, or 17, verse 7, when we start reading it, something about the connection between sin and faithfulness is going to be found, I think, in those verses. And that's one big preliminary, okay? The second big preliminary is that there is a very specific word that is used in verses 7 through 10, and that is the word doulos. The word doulos refers to a servant. Some of your translations that you're looking at might say servant. Some of them, some of them might say slave. If you look at your text right now, you'll see it, servant or slave. And let me just say, I think in this case, the best translation for the word there, doulos, is in fact the word Slave. We're talking here today in this parable about a fairly low level of servant on the hierarchy. There were different levels of slaves within the ancient world. 
Some of them actually had quite a role to play within the household and had some authority. This guy that we're going to be reading about today has no authority. We're talking about a lowly slave who, when he comes in the house, as the parable says in a moment, is not coming in to run things. He's coming in to do whatever it is that he's told to do. So the context here, if we combine all of this together, I think looks something like this. We are to have the kind of faith that allows us, as slaves of God, to be less sinful, to overcome sin through an attitude or a mindset of faithful servanthood that takes sin seriously. And I've, I've constructed that pretty carefully here, trying to use all these words that I think create the kind of context that is going to allow us to really read this parable the way that we should. So look at me now with Luke cha- at Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10, and hopefully we're going to see something significant today. Verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field... Come along now and sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, keep in mind the context here. I think we are to have the kind of faith that allows us as slaves of God to be less sinful, to overcome sin through an attitude or mindset of faithful servanthood that takes sin seriously. I think that's the real point of the parable. But he gets at that point by talking about this servant. And the fact is that in the ancient world, a doulos, when he comes in the house, the doulos is not going to expect for the master of the house to say to him, please, come sit down with me as some kind of equal, or even sit down with me as some kind of servant that I'm trying to honor. Instead, the servant who comes in the house recognizes that he has a place of servanthood. In fact, low servanthood. In fact, a place of humility. In fact, a place that in comparison with the master finds him absolutely required to do everything that the master says because the master is master and the servant is not. And I think that's really important, especially when it comes to the attitude that we're supposed to have about our own sins And the faith that is supposed to be ours as we approach that whole question of what does it mean to be a sinner before God, even a forgiven sinner before God. Now, a couple of points I think come out of all of this. First, forgiveness from God should never be taken for granted. There is simply no room for being too familiar with God or too flippant about sin and forgiveness. And you know, the fact is, 
I am so grateful and so blessed to be a Christian. It is so wonderful to be a child of God, to have received forgiveness of sins. Don't you praise the Lord for that? Aren't you grateful that God has blessed us in wonderful ways with Jesus and allowed us to stand before Him free from sin? The death of Jesus has freed me from the things that I've done. And because Jesus freed me from all the things that I've done, it's so easy for me to fall in love with Him, to worship Him, to honor Him, to be so grateful for Him. The fact is, as Jesus says here, Seven times a day I might sin. And really when he means, when he says seven times a day, he of course means seven hundred times a day. Seven times a day I might sin. Forty-nine times a week I might sin. Two thousand five hundred and forty-eight times a year I might sin. One hundred and seventy-eight thousand three hundred and sixty times in a seventy-year life I might sin. Now get that number in your head. 178,360 times in a 70 year life. If I sin seven times a day, Jesus is calling for forgiveness. And obviously saying that in the midst of all of my sin, He's going to forgive me. My sin is perpetual. My sin is vast. But God forgives sins. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. That's why he died. It's a huge tragedy when Christians wallow in their guilt and don't live triumphantly over the sin in their lives because Jesus has died to set them free. We need to have a believing attitude and believing relationship with God, accepting his forgiveness. And so let me say this this morning. Listen carefully, folks. You are forgiven. If you have come to Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Do you hear this? You are forgiven. We wallow in our guilt, but Jesus says we are forgiven. That's why he died. Now at the same time, don't take it for granted. You are forgiven, but your forgiveness did not come without a price. The Son of God gave his life for you. And so God is not just your dear friend. Jesus is not just your good buddy. We sing a song sometimes that we are friends of Jesus, and we are. But we are not only his good buddy, he is our savior, he is our Lord, and he died on a cross to save us. He is still the Lord of the universe, he is still the master, we are still his children, and we are even still his slaves. And although I am so grateful to God for the forgiveness that I've received in Jesus, and although I can say without a doubt that I am forgiven, I can't take for granted the forgiveness that he offers me. Robin and I grew up in Oregon. We were uh, recently there. And I, I actually remarked to Robin and I sent a text to some of my kids about this sound. I may have mentioned this already. The notion that the sound of the ocean coming with its waves crashing on the beach is a sound that is essentially eternal as far as the earth is concerned. And I can't really think of another sound 
that's like that. Like what other sound has been present on the earth since the beginning of creation? The chirping of the birds? No, that stops. The blowing of the wind? No, that stops. But there has never been a time in the history of the world when there has not been the sound of oceans crashing on the beach. And if you're standing next to the beach and you hear that sound, it's a cool sound. Like it always sounds like the rushing of wind. It can lull you to sleep. You can sit there in a chair and there's just this constant background noise of the waves crashing against the beach. You could fall asleep like that. At the same time, when you're driving down Highway 101 right on the Oregon coast, you drive along there, and these signs weren't there when I was a little boy, but they're there now. You go along, and there are signs everywhere that say, you have entered a tsunami zone. Warning. Danger. Now that's interesting. Because just about the time that you're being lulled to sleep by the sound of the ocean that is always there, there could suddenly be, without warning, a tsunami. And who knows what that tsunami might do if you're not ready and careful. In 2011, when Michiko was still in Japan, is that right? Or maybe you in Texas by then. Okay. But in 2011, 45 miles off the coast of Japan and about 15 miles deep, there was an earthquake. They felt the earthquake. Everybody knew that an earthquake had taken place. It was huge. Some people thought, we need to be careful. But a lot of people just thought, it was an earthquake. A major one, but we experience earthquakes all the time. And so they didn't worry about the tsunami that was coming. And an hour later, over 15,000 people were killed because they didn't recognize the warning sign and take seriously that which was coming. It seems to me like taking for granted the forgiveness of God also is not very wise. In the end, our relationship with God is one of believing trust and love, but the fact is, we are nothing more than unworthy servants in comparison to the God of the universe. He loves us eternally, but our purity cost His Son His life. And not for a moment should we take for granted the fact that God gave His Son to die on a cross in order that we might receive our forgiveness. You know, people all over our city drive down Memorial Drive all the time. You get down the hill, it's a beautiful vista, you can see the city, you can see the river, you can see the mountains, you go down Memorial Drive, you keep going, and pretty soon you start passing what are essentially war memorials. And over the last few years that I've been here, they've even built all of this up. There have been lots more trees that have been planted, there have been signs that have been put up, monuments that have put up. All of this to recognize those who gave their lives that we might continue to live in freedom. But how many of us driving down Memorial actually think about those monuments? How many of us really consider the fact that there were people 
around us in this city who had loved ones who died in wars so that we could live. We actually don't think of that very often. We instead tend to take it for granted. I can remember like it was yesterday when an elder in the church where I was converted got up in front of the congregation one Sunday and took off his leg. He was at the Lord's Supper. And he took his leg off. And of course it was a prosthetic. And that's because in 1944, on June 6th, he was on a Normandy beach. And he took a bullet and some shrapnel. And it took his leg off. And I don't know if until I saw some war movies, Saving Private Ryan, that brought home to me the reality of that event and what he experienced. But it made me realize very quickly that I should not take for granted the sacrifices of those who lost limbs in wars like that in order to preserve my freedom, but it is so easy for me to take that for granted. Jesus made the greatest sacrifice that could ever be made. And we can't be flippant. We can't take it for granted. We have to always take seriously the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. And that is partly because we are merely servants of God. And Jesus has done that for us. A second thing that we need to see here. When you realize you're nothing more than an unworthy servant, the forgiveness of other unworthy servants comes easier. I've been involved uh, recently in a situation here in our church where somebody needs to forgive somebody else. They feel like they have, one person feels like they have been mistreated by another. And at this point, they have so far been unwilling to forgive the other. And the fact is, it's time for them to forgive. And the reason why is because you and I are nothing but unworthy servants of God who have been forgiven by Him through the death of His Son. How dare, how dare we withhold forgiveness when God has forgiven us? Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. What does it say? Just as in Christ God forgave you. So tell me, given this passage, tell me what justification we have for not forgiving the person who has sinned against us. That person that you're thinking of, that you wrestle with whether or not you're going to forgive them. It seems to me like this passage calls us to forgive. Because you, 
just like I, we are unworthy servants of God, forgiven by God, and nothing, nothing is held against us. Even though we are unworthy servants of His, He does not hold our sin against us. And who are we not to forgive another when Christ has forgiven us like that? Jesus forgave you as a lowly servant of His. He gave His life for His slaves And we are totally unworthy, all the same. Withholding forgiveness from another is not an option in any way. And here's the punchline. It doesn't matter what they've done. Because when I said that a moment ago and I said you need to forgive, somebody said, but you don't know what they did. If you understood what they had done, Kelly, you wouldn't be telling me that I need to forgive them. And my point is, is that God does understand what we've done. Jesus does get it. And yet He forgave us. And if the Lord of the universe has forgiven our most heinous sins including forgiving those who were crucifying him as they did it. If that's the case, has the person you need to forgive crucified you? I'm doubting that they've done anything quite as bad as that. And Jesus forgave his crucifiers As they crucified him. And it seems to me. That if he can do that. That we need to forgive those. Who've sinned against us. And so we need to take pretty seriously. What it is today. That Jesus has done for us. We are mere servants of God. And we cannot take. For a moment. Take it for granted. What it is that Jesus has done. In forgiving us. And that needs to impact the way that we forgive others. I pray you do. Let's pray. Lord, there are ways in which we have sinned against you, sinned against others. And sometimes, God, we just need to take our sin a lot more seriously than we do. Help us, God, to recognize that your son died for us. That our sins caused his death. And yet at the same time, help us to recognize that those same profound, deep sins have been forgiven by you. And help us never to take for granted what it is that you've done in forgiving us our most heinous sins. And Father, help us to recognize that you did that even as we were your most unworthy servants. And so help us never to take 
the forgiveness we have received from you for granted. Help us to continue to acknowledge you as our Lord and Master and that we are simply your servants. We recognize you that you love us. We give our lives to you. We want to be certainly your friends. But more than that, we want to be your servants. Help us to acknowledge you always as Lord. We pray through Jesus. Amen.